Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Everything I learned from wrestling and how wrestling changed my life is just I I applied it to my business. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. My guest today, folks, is Mike Amin, 1988 NCA runner-up from Michigan. Go blue. Go blue. He's now the father to Miles and Malik Amin, who wrestle at Michigan. But man, this conversation is wide-ranging, and we talk about business. We talk about Mike Amin's father, who was a two-time Olympic wrestler, for Lebanon back in 56 and 60. There's just a lot of life lessons here, so I can't wait to get to the interview. Fane of the Week goes to... Let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. Fane of the Week goes to Fernando Serratos. That's Fernando underscore Serratos on the gram. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a wrestling coach. He's a listener of the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Fernando. Folks, if you want to keep up to date with this podcast, and who wouldn't, Go to Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life. You can follow me on Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner. And then our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com, where you can find all past episodes. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the man, Mike Amin. Mr. Mike Amin, how are you, sir? Doing great. How are you, Ryan? Outstanding. Thank you for doing this. I wanted to start with... You may find it odd, but I want to start with your father, actually. I've had a really fun time reading about his career from Beirut to the United States and really living the American dream. Um, take me back to, to your household growing up when you were like 9 or 10 years old. How many siblings did you have? What was, what was the atmosphere like growing up in the mean household? Well, I will tell you this. I grew up with uh, uh, a total of nine siblings, uh, including me, and uh, there was never a dull moment in that 1,400-square-foot uh, uh, house. Uh, my dad had to add a bedroom um, after he came over to the U.S. in 1967. I was a little over a year old, and uh, I was born actually in Beirut. And, uh, uh, but there was never a dull moment in that Amin household when I was 9 or 10 years old. What's interesting is I think my mom and my oldest sister – uh, we're pregnant at the same time with my uh, younger brother, Ralph. Uh, and it's, uh, and so there was never more than, I guess, eight siblings in the house, not nine, because when he came on, uh, when, when, when uh, she had him, my sister, my oldest sister, Hoda, had, had already moved out. She got married. And, uh, but yeah, we squeezed into that uh, four bedroom house um, <laughs> quite well and, and never a dull moment. I had five older sisters, so you can only imagine. Uh, just the, 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 the back and forth, you know, kind of like the Brady Bunch way back in the day, right? Everybody's always got a little quarrel going on and, uh, especially, you know, right around dinner time, <laughs> but it was, uh, I wouldn't trade it in for the world. I, we were a very, uh, tight knit family. Um, my mom and dad were the patriarchs of, of, of just, uh, they, they gave us a good life. My dad was a, a laborer. He, uh, he actually, uh, uh, was a butcher by background. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, really kind of showed us, uh, what it was like, uh, to work hard, uh, in, in some cases, six to seven days a week, uh, morning till night. And, uh, 
you know, we, uh, we really appreciated his efforts and my mom's efforts as well, because my mom, uh, after a while, went to work as well. She had a, a deli and a, a meat shop as well in town. And together, they, you know, they raised uh, some pretty good kids and really taught us the value of just uh, character and uh, just uh, your word is your word. Your word is your bond. And just uh, what it's like to be a tight knit family uh, here in the U.S. And my uh, my dad, um, you know, I, I really kind of always listened to him because he's really wise around giving advice. And so right up until his last days, uh, a few years ago, when he turned ninety, he passed away. But uh, I was always uh, fascinated with all his stories and uh, just his wisdom. It was just remarkable. I I, I spoke to the Detroit News after his death they had a big article about him and you know i i talked about the importance of that generation uh the generation that was born in the 20s and 30s and 40s is probably the greatest generation of all time they were very patriotic um true americans uh they really they wore their heart on their sleeve their word was their bond and uh i i i think uh you know we we picked up a lot of uh what we thought were true American values uh, about the importance of, you know, faith, you know, country, uh, family, and the importance of just, just your, your word. And, uh, you know, I, I think these days it's kind of all over the place. And I hope, you know, not, not to get political that this country uh, reunites here soon, because I see there's a lot of division on what's, you know, going on with, you know, the political climate, as well as, you know, with, uh, with uh, unfortunately the corona virus and all the stuff that's going on has really uh, divided the country and, and i hope and uh, pray that uh, uh, we reunite because uh, i've been overseas um and uh several times uh to go and support and watch the boys wrestle and uh i always look forward to coming back to the u.s and i know that the boys represent san marino i understand that and there's you know always that backlash but they're americans and even though I was born in Lebanon, I'm, a, I'm an American that just happens to be very pr uh, proud of my Lebanese descent, just like the boys are, are San Marino citizens at birth, and they're, pr they're, uh, they're proud to be San Marino citizens as well as, you know, of Lebanese descent. So, but first and foremost, they're American. So I'm going to set the record straight. Amen, baby. You said it straight here, and I love that they're wrestling for San Marino. Um, just going back to your father, though, you know, that's why I wanted to talk about him is that hearing about these men and women who were salt to the earth, just never missed a day of work in their life. It just makes you kind of aspire to be like that. Um, why did your, uh, why did your father come over here in the sixties when he did? And for folks who don't know, he was a two time Olympic wrestler, Olympic bronze medalist and Greco. Um, but why did he come over here with, with a family in tow? It's crazy. So my dad, um, you know, had a good life in Lebanon. He, uh, you know, he was one of the country's heroes because back in the day, uh, Lebanon actually had a few really good wrestlers. He wrestled with the Taha brothers, who uh, one of them did medal, I think, a, a silver. Um, and they were friends until their last days uh, with my dad, and they lived in Florida. But, um, you know, the war broke out. So my dad was uh, in, the, in what they call the Bika Valley in a, in a town called Zahle, uh, and it's Z-A-H-L-E if you look it up. Uh, it's in northern Lebanon, and he lived in, 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 in a, uh, 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 an old village uh, that was just north of Beirut. And we, uh, we had a house there, and uh, you know, it was a really good life because my, uh, my grandfathers were in the Uzo business, and uh, they distributed Uzo. Um, What's that? And, uh, uh, and, it, and I'm, I'm sorry? What's Uzo? Uzo is like, uh, it's like a, it's a liqueur. Uh, a lot of the Greeks uh, drink it. And... Uh, um, it's, it's, it's actually, it's real smooth. <laughs> we'll have to try some soon because I, I've got a bottle from his, his, uh, his, uh, village there. But, uh, so they distributed that for many years, uh, both my, uh, uh, grandfather and, uh, would be my great uncle, um, were in business together and, uh, they, uh, they also had a butcher shop, you know, hence why my dad became a butcher, um, while he was wrestling. So, um, but, uh, uh the war broke out, I think in 1967. Uh, and uh, my dad wanted to take the family out of danger, even though it was kind of south in the south. He just felt like it was time um, to uh, uh, move on. And what's interesting is we had U.S. roots. My grandfather was born in New York City and had a bar uh, back in the 20s. Uh, and uh, I believe, yeah, it was in the 20s. And, uh, and, and one of the, the stories was my dad told me is that Al Capone used to come into my grandfather's bar. 
So that was a, a very interesting fact <laughs> that uh, back in the day uh, that uh, Capone and his uh, and his uh, and his crew used to come in, and my grandfather used to serve him. So, uh, long story short, my grandfather um, uh, went back uh, to to Lebanon uh, per his parents. They wanted him back uh, to uh, to to run the family business. And, uh, uh, and, and I, I, you know, obviously they were in the Uzo business and eventually in the meat business, but, uh, he went back, um, had, 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 had my father, uh, and, uh, you know, so my father grew up there and, uh, I, he might've gone to the United States, uh, as a child and, um, and remembered New York city because somehow we had cousins that when I was little, we'd go and visit them that were, uh, my dad's cousins, I'm sorry. And so. Uh, long story short, the uh, so my dad um, uh, ended up uh, moving uh, to the U.S. and bringing his family to the U.S. in 1967. My aunt was already here, and then uh, slowly but surely, the rest of the family started moving. So some of his brothers and sisters um, he he brought over, and and again, uh, this was the land of opportunity for a lot of uh, foreign people, and uh, I think they they embrace the freedom, they embrace the opportunity to. Uh, build, uh, your, you know, your, 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 your business. And uh, it was just, um, I heard my dad just say that over and over again. I've heard my uncle say it over and over again, uh, uh, how great, you know, coming to the U.S. Everybody wanted to come to the U.S. Even though you had a good life in Lebanon, uh, the life in the U.S. was just a little better. And I, I think people wanted to embrace that. So my dad came over in 1967. I was a young uh, child at the time. Uh, again, I was just approaching two. My brother was just born. He was literally like three months old. So there was my brother, younger brother, Sam. So we all came over and uh, uh, we established a life in Warren, Michigan. And uh, we really didn't wrestle until we were about 10 years old. So uh, growing up, we would kind of wrestle around my dad, not knowing my dad never really mentions anything. And the other interesting fact is my older brother never wrestled. He played baseball and basketball. And here he, his dad was a, you know, a two-time Olympian and wrestling in the Olympic Games. And my <laughs> older brother doesn't wrestle. So go figure, you know. So my dad was a real humble guy. Uh, my mom, uh, I think, was a little resistant for, to, uh, for us to wrestle. She believed in education and she didn't want any distractions. And she felt that when my dad was traveling and wrestling, he was neglecting his business, which is true. He was neglecting the, the meat business that he probably would have inherited from my, my, uh, my grandfather. Instead, his, his, his younger brother inherited that business and ran it when we moved here. So, um, so uh, we didn't start really wrestling. Uh, I think we had a few moves because he would wrestle with us in the living room and stuff. But uh, uh, one, one day I was in elementary school. I think it might have been in sixth grade or something like that. And uh, there was a pamphlet going around about youth wrestling. It's called the Van Dyke Wrestling Club. And I took it home and I said, dad, I want to do this. And my mom said, absolutely not. So um, we went, my brother, Sam and I, we really, really convinced my dad just to take us to practice, to one practice. And uh, just, uh, just, and for some reason, you know, if we didn't like it, you know, we'd obviously not pursue it, but uh, we went the first practice and uh, uh, we both, my brother and I, we, we fell in love with it. It was really freestyle wrestling as well. And uh, that's kind of where we started. And, uh, uh, you know, the first year, I, I think I might have been 10 years old. And my brother Sam was uh, uh, nine or uh, turning nine or something like that, eight years old. He might have been eight. And, um, you know, the rest is history. We, we stuck with youth wrestling. We had really, really good results. Uh, I think I might have won a state championship my first year. And uh, I, it really came on. But I, I think I had a little bit of an advantage. I think, you know, just kind of uh, it really just screwing around with my dad. It, it really kind of um, helped me uh, <laughs> in my first year of freestyle wrestling. So, it's, you know, and, and go ahead. So your first practice going into it, did you have any idea that your pops was a two-time Olympian? Nope, not at all. Nope. I didn't find that out till later on. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, actually my mom had some stuff hidden in this little metal box and all his medals and, and even some of his trophies were in a closet and nothing was ever displayed. Uh, and then she brought out some old pictures and then I just started putting the two and two together, you know, I'm like, you know, my dad wasn't just a wrestler. He, he was pretty damn good. <laughs> so, uh, it is just, again, you know, I, uh, my dad was uh, in, in my world, you know, he was, he was my only hero. He was my one and only hero is, is my father. So he, uh, 
I always kind of looked up to him. And uh, like I said, I just, uh, I, he was just a humble guy. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that till later. And then uh, I'm like, man, I, I think I got to really start learning from him. So he did uh, work with us and uh, throughout our careers, even in the college, he was still kind of um, adjusting some technical skills. And uh, uh, we went on to wrestle some Greco and freestyle in the nineties. And, and still, we were still getting advice. Um, we got a really good arm drag from our dad and uh, it worked quite well for us. So, and, and on both sides, and I think Miles still uses it. <laughs> and Malik still uses it. They both have a pretty good drag as well. That came from my, from our dad. And there's some other things that uh, leg wrestling definitely came from my dad. And uh, my dad wrestled both styles. He wrestled freestyle and Greco. So it, uh, he, he had a, a few moves up his sleeve in both styles. So he, uh, he uh, uh, worked with us. And, and again, you know, the, the rest is really history. He, uh, he, you can tell by, by just talking about him how uh, passionate I am about what he did for us. And, and also my mom. My, my, our mom was the biggest fan, kind of like my wife is uh, today with the boys. I think she's as big a fan, if not bigger a fan, with Miles and Malik, her name is Marcy, but she uh, she really embraced the sport as well. And uh, you know, it's tough to be married to a wrestler. It's tough. Because, uh, yeah, it's really tough. So we're we're going on thirty years here, uh, coming up in November. So uh, we met in nineteen eighty six. But yeah, she, I, I got a hats off to her because she's uh, she's been uh, she was my number one fan, and eventually uh, the boys' number one fan. And uh, she uh, she made she made the things happen uh, for them to to get registered with San Marino. It was all her work and her efforts. So wow. hats off to her. And congratulations on the marriage. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you about um, fathering wrestlers because we see a lot of crazies out there in the world, and uh, you know most of the time people who have had success in wrestling like yourself are not that person. It's usually people who have a chip on their shoulder or something to prove, and they're living through their kids. What about your dad, though, and you and your brother? Like, once you and Sam got into high school and college, was he hard on you? Was he you know, pushing you guys? Was it more he was the dad versus the coach? What was that dynamic like? So, yeah, my, my dad never got involved with uh, giving any advice uh, around what the coach advice. He'd always say, listen to your coach, Dale Barr. You know, listen to your coach, you know, Mark Trello or Steve Fraser. Just whatever they say, they know more than I. They always, he always gave them the credit. And he was, you know, behind the scenes. And, you know, my dad, I guess what I remember him telling me, he goes, you know, the, the uh, uh, and I, and I know those dads and, and my dad was very uh, excited and passionate when we wrestled and he would pace and he would, he would yell and uh, he had a nice thick accent and uh, I liked it. It motivated me. My brother, Sam didn't like it. <laughs> he wanted to stay quiet. So it's just interesting. The, uh, the dynamics, the family dynamics is like one, you know, wants to hear dad, the other one doesn't. And it's kind of like Malik and Miles for a while there, you know, Malik didn't want to hear me, but Miles did. And, uh, you know, and now I, I, I'm to the point to where they both want to hear me. And um, hopefully they, they could, they, Miles said and Malik said they could hear me at the world championship. So you can only imagine how that voice carries. So um, we got to make sure that we separate passion, uh, you know, uh, with, with some of the dads, especially the dads. There's probably a few moms out there too that get a little crazy, but you know, wrestling is not who you are. It's just something that you do. And I have to keep reminding myself that it's just, it's a chapter in your life and we can't put all this pressure uh, on our sons and daughters. I, I think that we have to embrace um, the, the grind, as they say, you have to embrace the challenges. You have to embrace the losses and learn from them. And uh, I, over the years, it, it's tough to see your kids lose. And my dad said it best. He says, when you lost, I felt it 10 times. But when you won, I felt it 10 times. And he would, he, he would, uh, he, he, he would uh, you know, it, it would hurt him um, when, when we lost. Uh, it just, uh, and not because, and he wouldn't get mad. He wouldn't neglect us or anything like that. It just, he knew how much we hurt, so he hurt. And that's kind of how I feel uh, about the boys uh, when they compete. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's tough to see them lose just because I know how much effort they put into it. And I know how much time they put to it and the commitment. So it's tough, you know, and, and I think any dad that you ask, they're going to probably tell you the same thing. It's just the reaction, though, is so important on how you react to these kids and the importance of having a conversation um, and, uh, and really understanding what's going through their head uh, when their hand doesn't get raised. Or even sometimes when their hand gets raised, you know, I, I, I've gotten to the point to where I, I, I used to kind of like, you know, what happened there? I, I, now I try to say, you know, let them talk first and tell me, hey, 
um, dad, you know, what do you think? I said, well, here's kind of what I, my thoughts were, but you know, we can, we can fix this. You know, you have to stay positive and you have to reinforce that, Hey, that's part of the, that's part of the grind is you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And, uh, you know, there, there's a very few people that will go through their careers <laughs> undefeated. I know we had a few in college, but again, after college, that didn't happen, right? A few of them suffered some losses. So, um, and again, we don't want wrestling to define us. We want to have a good balanced life and it can't be the be all and end all because at some point, you know, your wrestling days are going to end and you're going to have to close that chapter and, and, and hopefully utilize uh, the, the, the skills and the mindset and the challenges to propel you in your next uh, venture in life and your career and your family and the way you handle some of those losses in wrestling. So that's the advice I'd give. It's just, you know, stay positive, give positive feedback, uh, but sometimes don't give any feedback. If they're not asking for it, it's very, very hard. And it was hard for me just to keep my mouth shut and just let them have their moment and, um, and try not to bring it up. Uh, just because uh, sometimes it's all, uh, all they need is that downtime to kind of reflect on what happened in that match. And sometimes they got to figure it out. They don't need the outside advice and it's best to kind of walk away and it's hard to do and you got to bite your lip and uh, just walk away. And it is what it is. You know, it's just, uh, and then maybe come back days later and they may bring it up and uh, then, then you can talk about it. But right after the match or right after, you know, that same day, if they're not saying anything, I think it's best just to stay quiet and let them come to you versus you come to them. Uh, it, it just, it's, uh, it makes uh, hopefully for a better uh, longer term result. It's tough though, right? Because you want to, you think you're helping them, but at the same time you think back, you know, if your dad wasn't like that and you know, maybe that's the best way. And it's just tough though. Cause I, I mean, someone with your, your knowledge and your experience, I'm sure you, all you're trying to do is help. It's maybe sometimes it's yeah. your point best just to give space. Yeah. And like I said, I, I just feel like uh, it's hard to do and uh, just got to keep, you know, um, hopefully uh, practicing, uh, you know, that, 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 um, uh, you know, just trying to know, know, know when to say something and know when, when to not say something. And it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough balance. It really is. You got to just, again, learn to bite your lip and, and they'll usually open up. And that's happened a few times with both Malik and Miles, you know, so. Well, speaking of, you know, all this talk about parenting and coaching, you know, before you were a parent, you wrestled at Uni University of Michigan, um, and there were some some really fun teams there, John Fisher, Pantaleo. I feel like all you guys, all your kids went to Michigan at the same time. It's crazy. Um, but you went there with your brother, Sam, and you, know, you made the, the NCAA finals in 88. You know, what are some of your, uh, your early memories from Michigan and getting into that college room and the transition from high school to, to D1? Um, you know, so I, I think first and foremost, I want to give credit to my teammates. I, I think ultimately, you know, the culture that we had and the coaching that we had, uh, was probably second to none. You know, did we win an NCAA championship? Unfortunately not. Did we have the makings? Absolutely. You know, um, but, uh, you know, I, I really credit, you know, the, the teammates and, and just, the, the, the camaraderie that we have and the work ethic that we put in, we were not highly, you know, with the exception of John Fisher, who was pretty darn tough, but he wasn't the number one guy in the country coming out of high school. And I definitely was, I was one time state champ. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know that I was ranked in the top 50 uh, coming in at the university of Michigan. And I always kind of tease, but you know, they recruited me to get to my brother, Sam. Now, Sam highly ranked. I think when he finished up, he was a, a three-time finalist, he had one loss from his sophomore year to his senior year. He was 110 and one, you know, he was second, first, first. And, uh, he, uh, he was a pretty special coming out of high school. So I would say they recruited me to get to him, you know, smart so, move. Uh, yeah, it was a smart move. And he, <laughs> he had a great career as well. So, you know, he, uh, he unfortunately was ranked second in the country and got injured, but I think he would have had a better result than I had he been healthy. He blew his knee out, but he had some just, unbelievable matches but you know we had a really really good tough room again um, we worked really hard we had great coaching and uh, you know I attribute my success to the culture and uh, working out with guys like Joe Pantelio um, who you know iron sharpens iron we're about the same weight he was a 58 pounder I was a 67 pounder and I had guys that were a little older than me like Kevin Hill uh, who, uh, who I uh, had worked out with and and believe it or not Scott Recksteiner 
who was Big Papa Pump, but he was a 77 pounder uh, when I was transitioning to 167. And uh, wait, the know, WWE he, wrestler, Big Papa Pump? The WWE, yeah, yeah. So I'd worked out with him, and I had some really good workout partners that kind of beat up on me, maybe better. Uh, and uh, and Joe and I kind of were were always, you know, once Joe came into Michigan, kind of like Alec and Malik. Uh, they both kind of like really help each other, uh, I think, uh, succeed. And obviously, Alec had phenomenal results. Um, but Alec is Joe's nephew. He, uh, he's actually the son of Mike Pantelio, um, just okay. for the record. But, uh, but Joe absolutely influenced Alec uh, throughout his career. And Joe was a really good coach and, and really knew the technical aspects of the uh, wrestling and, and the mindset. So, um, but, you know, we just had a, a, just a, a great team with a great coaching staff and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if I got lucky or what it was, but I, I knew that, you know, with work ethic and a good room, you know, a lot can be accomplished. And uh, it's kind of the mindset and the way I run my company is that you show me somebody that's a grinder that may not have the best talent, uh, but uh, and we can make them into a very successful, you know, uh, advisor. And I feel the same uh, for college wrestling. I don't think you always have to recruit the number one guy in the country. I think you've got to recruit somebody like Dan Gable, and I always looked up to the wisdom that Dan Gable brought uh, to college wrestling. And I've, and I've had the opportunity to speak with him on a number of occasions. Um, I think he has tremendous respect for the team that beat him in 1989. And, uh, you know, anytime I run into him, he always stops and we have a nice conversation. I always have just tremendous respect for Dan Gable. If I have to idolize anybody outside of my dad, it would be Dan Gable. Would, you know, with all due respect to the greats like John Smith and Cale Sanderson, Gable's still at the top just because he did some things in college coaching and in Olympic wrestling that you've never seen before, you know, and uh, the coaching so aspect that, is, is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, he is unbelievable. I mean, for what he did in college wrestling. So anytime Dan speaks, people have to listen. And I just remember talking to him about like recruiting and how and coach, what do you look for? You know, when you're going out to Fargo, uh, you know, what are the guys you look for? And he looks for the guys that just hate losing more than they like winning, you know? And, uh, and it's, it's that guy, that mindset that, you know, it's, it's the guy that, that, that is just a, a grinder. It's going to work hard. Um, you know, they're coachable and you put them in the right culture and Gable was turning those guys into national champs and sometimes multiple time national champs. That doesn't mean you didn't recruit the number one guy in the country, but if you look at the makeup of Iowa uh, wrestling over the last several decades under Gable and others, you know, they're not always capturing the number one guy, you know? And um, so I look at that, that's what coaching is all about. If you can develop that guy, that's just, you know, one time, two time state champ, tough, you know, they got to have some skills. You can't, you know, assume you're going to take a walk on and make them into the national champ, although that might have happened uh, a few times. But um, if you could take a guy, again, that's a one-time state champ or maybe place third twice and uh, in some of these tough states like P Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, uh, Iowa, Michigan, goes on and on. But um, you could take a few of those guys and you can really develop them. Then that, to me, is all coaching. That's what culture is about. That's what coaching is about. You got to really believe in the guy. And that's the beauty of, of Gable. He was able to trans, help translate the guy that wanted to win into having that national champ mindset. It wasn't about being an All-American. He, 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 he wanted you to say that I want to be a national champ and even a national champ my freshman year. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the attitude that Gable wanted to recruit to, to Iowa. And uh, I think that's kind of where, you know, I see, you know, Michigan going in that direction of really developing that talent and, and under Coach Bormet's leadership is says take a guy because the same thing goes for, you know, Miles. You know, Miles was maybe fourth, fifth um, rank coming out of high school, and he had pretty damn good results, you know, as a freshman and, uh, you know, was fourth in the NCAAs as a, as a redshirt freshman. And uh, so – that to me is what development's all about. And you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta kind of know the character of the guy and make sure some of the off the mat uh, 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 antics and, and, and decisions are really good decisions. You gotta look at the family dynamics and say, all right, does this guy really have the family support they're gonna need? Because, you know, it takes a village to create a great wrestler. It's not just the coaching, it's not just the, the culture, but the family dynamics as well. And, and we just talked about the dads, right? We mm -hmm. talked about, hey, this guy has to fight two battles, right? He's got to fight the battle on the mat, and he's got to fight the battle off the mat with, uh, with, with maybe the family. And, uh, and sometimes they go out, they're walking out there on eggshells and pins and needles, and they can't feel relaxed. And again, you know, who I, who I kind of look to, and again, they've had, you know, championship after championship, 
but they feel really relaxed as Penn State. You know, Kale oh. Sanderson does a wonderful job of making sure that his team is ready and relaxed uh, and really just going out there and having fun. And that's really the name of the game is going out there, you know, somehow being dialed in, but at the same time being relaxed enough to you're not worried about making mistakes. And you see some of the best of the best get taken down and they still end up teching the guy, right? Yeah. So um, there's something to be said about having fun in the room and then having fun when you're out there and how that translates. So you got it's, it's, it's a happy medium, especially with this generation. You can't, you know, be so hard on them that everything is just work, 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 work without having a, a good time and put yourself in different positions and just kind of really kind of uh, flowing in, 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 in those different positions, really having a, a, a better understanding of, of how to maybe scramble and, and enjoy kind of like what that's like. So. And I know we talked about it beforehand, but, you know, Sean Bormetz, you know, there's not a bigger fan of Sean Bormet than me. I, I love, you know, that guy and following him from overtime to Michigan. Just incredible. What have you seen just from uh, getting close to the program again in terms of his leadership and, and some things that you really like what he's doing right now with the guys? Well, this Sean Bormet has a very relaxed approach uh, and, and it's easy to wrestle for him. He is he's extremely technical. He's very calm. So um, it's nice to have that in the corner uh, to where, you know, he's got your back. He, he, he's, he, he doesn't get overly excited, but he, uh, he's good to have in the corner. He's absolutely phenomenal in the room and the way he structures it. He's a very structured, uh, 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 he has very structured practices. I know that he writes every pretty much practice out, um, you know, before he delivers it and uh, uh, very technical. Uh, and very calm and just uh, so passionate though. He's that, he's that great leader. It's kind of more the quiet leader and reserved. Although, you know, you can push a hot button, especially with some bad calls. And I've seen him kind of out of his chair when he knows that the ref made a bad call and you can definitely, he delivers it, you know? And so, you know, don't underestimate his passion because it's there. It's just, he's very calm. And I know in talking to Malcolm and Miles and having him in the corner, um, and they don't feel, they feel really relaxed going out there. And I think that's when you can wrestle your best, you know, you're dialed in, but you feel relaxed. You don't feel the tension, uh, from the coaching and, uh, from, from, from the family. So, um, you know, I, uh, I just have such tremendous respect like you do for Sean. He's just, he, he, he is the guy that I think is going to help Michigan and propel Michigan, uh, to a national championship. And he's not just doing it on talent alone. He's doing it with his structure. He's doing it with his approach. Um, and, uh, just his, his, uh, his passion, uh, for greatness. And it's, and it's, and I think it, it's very calculated. I think he's, he really thinks things through, uh, and he's very thorough, uh, in his approach. So he's a little different than some of the other coaches maybe you've seen out there, but you know, that's kind of what I, I like to see, uh, in the Michigan program and, and, you know, and, and hats off to Joe McFarland because Joe McFarland, um, you know, he had his heyday at Michigan. He absolutely had some, uh, some, some peaks, in his career, you know, to where he, he was able to um, uh, deliver a, 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 an NCAA um, uh, a second place team back around the Ryan Bertines and, and Torella era mm -hmm. uh, to where, you know, in Tannenbaum. I mean, it, it just did a wonderful job with that talent in the room. And it's like any coach, after a while, it, it gets very difficult to always hit on every cylinder. And that's going to happen to the best of the best coaches. So, but hats off to Joe McFarlane and the job that he did. And he helped Sean really kind of. Um, help mold Sean into, I think, the, the leadership, leadership um, because I think uh, the assistant coaches need that. They need that time as an assistant coach before I, I think they become head coaches. And every great program will show that. And I also love how Sean was the CEO of a business for 10 years before that. And I think that's essential yeah. in college wrestling. I think any, you think about any um, big time sport, the head coach is as much a CEO as they are X's and O's. And that is crucial in terms of getting support um, from the community and, and from the alumni, so on and so forth. And knowing you're a businessman, I did want to spend uh, you know, some time talking about that. So now you're the, the CEO and founding partner of, um, hit me with the names, Wall Strategies. Wall Strategies. Financial. Wall Strategies. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking Securian for some reason. I used to sell to Securian and they're your broker oh, okay. dealer, right? Yeah, our broker dealer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me about the early days though at MetLife, where you call, uh, cold calling, pound of the phones, working your way up. 
So I started, was, I actually celebrated 30 years in the industry, September 1st. And so I'm proud to say that uh, 30 years, uh, I spent my entire career with New England, which I got absorbed by MetLife. And uh, in my early days, you know, it was a grind, you know, and, and basically everything I learned from wrestling and how wrestling changed my life is just I, apply, I applied it to my business uh, and, uh, and had success. Uh, I didn't have immediate success because I needed to have patience first. Right. Not, nothing happens overnight. Rome wasn't built overnight. So I need to constantly remind myself, you know, if I do X, I'm not going to get Y. Sometimes you can get that in wrestling. You can't get it in the business world. So you got to be patient. And um, I always had, um, I guess, an interest in the financial world. And so um, I, uh, again, that discipline, that teamwork, um, the, uh, the, the, just the, the, the skills that you learn on the wrestling mat, as long as you are open to yourself and, and applying that to every aspect of your life, I think you can get great results eventually. And, and that's actually what happened to, to me in, in this particular career path. You know, so I came on, I struggled. And unfortunately, you know, in 1992, I got married in 1990. In 1992, we built a house. Um, and uh, I had a big mortgage and, uh, uh, and then my wife got pregnant and my mom unfortunately got cancer all in the same year. And, um, I happened to, uh, not make the Olympic team. I was planning on making the Olympic team. I had uh, bouts, uh, going back and forth with Gordy Morgan. I'd beaten Gordy Morgan. He was a number one guy and, uh, had, had a really good run in Greco-Roman wrestling at 163 pounds. And so my heart was broken from my Olympic dream, I kind of busted up my ribs and did not have the kind of uh, national open that I wanted. I placed, I think I was fourth in the national open. I went on to the world team trials, won some matches, um, you know, and became the, the, the second or third alternate uh, in 92. But, you know, that's not, that wasn't one of my goals. My goal was to make the team and, and, and get, a, get a medal, you know, uh, for the U.S. And uh, so my wife was pregnant, my mom had cancer, and, and I just, I was struggling. Uh, I was struggling uh, emotionally. Uh, I was struggling a little bit financially. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think what got it, what got me through it was the ability to have that wrestling mindset and be able to, you know, weather the storm, if you will. And uh, fortunately, it all worked out. You know, unfortunately, my mom passed away in 1993. But at the same time, my, a blessing, my blessing was born. Uh, my daughter, Marissa, was born in 1993, a month later. Hmm. And, I, and I think she saved me a little bit. Um, uh, definitely, definitely uh, look forward to, to, to having her and, uh, and uh, raising her. And then obviously the boys came right after. And uh, we had a wonderful small family that uh, we're very proud of. So, um, you know, it got me through it. But, but nine years in, um, I decided to transition in 1999 to more of a leadership role. I was asked by the vice president. I was helping kind of mentor some guys and, 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 and help them with some of the recruiting, kind of like we do for college wrestling. And then um, I uh, decided to get into management. And then within a few years, uh, they, uh, they provided me an office out in Grand Rapids and an opportunity in 2004. I took that office over. I was able to take the culture and turn it around and take the results and turn it around. And eventually they gave me an entire state. And that's kind of where MetLife was, was involved. Um, and uh, we were actually uh, became the national firm of the year for MetLife in 2008. And we had the worst economy in the country. So I attribute all that to, to my uh, wrestling days and, and some of the things I learned to, you know, uh, be a great leader and uh, you know, surround myself with great people. I always talk about the importance of surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. And I had the fortitude to go out and hire people who, compliment, who complimented my skill sets and we worked really hard together. We rolled up our sleeves. And together, we built a phenomenal and great firm uh, for MetLife. And eventually, MetLife gave me pretty much everything that was in Michigan, from MetLife to MetLife Resources to England Financial. I ran that entire distribution until 2016. And we were one of the, consistently one of the top firms in the country, one of the best places to work in the country. And uh, I attributed that to just some of the things I learned at the University of Michigan and at my high school, Warren Lincoln. So I. Uh, you know, that's, that's where wrestling truly, truly changed my life. And then uh, in 2016, MetLife decided to shut down their distribution. I then partnered up with Securian and started WellStrategies Financial Group. And again, um, in a very short time, I think we're going to become one of their top firms. So we're, we're hitting on all cylinders right now. Our recruiting is off the charts. Our results are off the charts. Uh, we had a phenomenal year last year. We, we, we were able to receive 
the prestigious gold standard for, for Gamma International, and that's on a global scale for our recruiting and results efforts. And, uh, and that's, again, I, I, hats off to my team. I have a great team at Wall Strategies Financial Group, and uh, I, I enjoy going to work every single day. Man, I love, I love the passion. And, you know, I'm in software sales, and I just think sales and, and whether it's being a financial advisor and, you know, technically that's not sales, but in many ways it is, you know, wrestling just lends itself to that, that hunter mentality. Um, and sales is, is a lot like it because, you know, sometimes you're on a team of 10 other reps and you hit your number yeah. and they don't, you know, it's, you still, you still feel okay. You know, whereas like in wrestling, if you win a match and your team doesn't, you still feel pretty good about yourself. Yeah. It just yeah. reminds me of it so much. But I wanted to go back to that period in 92 because I look at someone like you, uh, wonderful family, successful career. I think, man, this guy has just always been super confident and never gone through any issues like that. So I was fascinated to hear that you were going through a little bit of a kind of an emotional low point and, and who could blame you. So how did you, if you look back, and if there's anyone listening now who's struggling with some depression or just kind of in a funk, how did you get out of that? Was it you know, just time or any, anything you can remember? Yeah, well, I think it was uh, faith and, uh, you know, like I said, and the people that I surround myself with, you know, from mm -hmm. my friends to my family and uh, my coworkers, uh, it was a really tough time. Uh, you know, again, uh, my mother, you know, was uh, actually it's her birthday today, which she, 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 uh, I think she would have been 80. Um, she was 84 today, uh, but she died at 58. And uh, mm -hmm. it was a very, very difficult time. Um, just because, again, I can deal with, uh, you know, not making the Olympic team. I could deal with uh, struggling, you know, with, with my job uh, uh, because I was devoting a lot of time to, to training and, and wrestling and trying to balance, you know, my marriage and everything else. But, you know, it was a, it was a rough patch. And um, I think, you know, again, uh, your faith is very important. Your family is very important. Your friends are very important. All the Fs. You know, I, I think that's what helps you. And, and, and it's okay to raise your hand and ask for help and have that conversation. Um, and uh, it's even okay to go, you know, and get some counseling and, uh, you know, work through uh, some of those things and challenges that you're, uh, you're going through. And, and I did. I went and, and talked to somebody and uh, um, was able to, you know, some kind of spill my guts and, and, and some of the emotions that I was feeling. And they were all over the place. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a real, real tough time in my life. And um, I think uh, that's kind of what defines you, some of the scars, um, you know, uh, 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 during that period of your life. And, uh, you know, they, uh, but you'll get through it, you know, um, you'll get through it. You guys, you got to have faith and uh, you got to uh, reach out to family and, and loved ones and, and your friends. And, uh, you know, you'll get through it. Uh, the, the human spirit is, um, is unbelievable. Um, you know, and the resiliency that we all have, if we just allow ourselves, um, to, 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 to ask for help and, uh, and get the support, there's nothing we can't do and nothing we can't accomplish and nothing we can't get through. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an optimist at the end of the day. I wake up with a, uh, a good attitude. Um, that's one of the things we can always control when we wake up. Um, is our attitude. We can't really control what happens to us, but we control how we deal with it. I appreciate you sharing that. And it, it meant a lot to me. And I'll, I'll go back and listen to that a, a number of times. The last thing we'll close with, and this is a perfect segue, is you said, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you choose the attitude you have. I want to go back to March 1988. You were unseated um, and had just an incredible NCAA tournament. Do you remember where you are at yeah, where your headspace was at, you know, Thursday morning as the tournament was starting, 1988. Well, I, I will relate it to uh, uh, Miles's draw at the World Championships. And, like, you know, oh, you know, <laughs> oh, shucks. Man, I've, I've got some workout, uh, you know, cut out in front of me. So the first match I had was against a, a couple time All-American named Craig Martin out of Missouri. So that's who I drew first round. And, uh, you know, I, I think the importance, and I think Mark Torella one time shared, you know, wrestling is, you know, once you get to this a certain level, it's, it's pretty much a mental game. And I had uh, just this, this mental attitude. I was definitely in the zone. 
and I really felt like uh, throughout that tournament, <laughs> I, I felt like a, like the old Rocky uh, theme, like I, I could eat nails, you know. And uh, I was in the zone, and I felt like, and, and I really felt invincible. I really went out there with the attitude that I was not going to get beat, and uh, I, I, I warmed up really well. And what's interesting is I got injured, my knee, and it, it's still injured today, but at the Big Tens, I was wrestling, um, it, it was, uh, uh, trying to remember, the uh, one of the guys from Minnesota who was pretty good, he was an All-American, and uh, I, uh, I was a leg wrestler, and he ended up ripping my knee up a little bit, and I had a, a, a torn meniscus and a torn uh, ACL uh, going in the NCAA tournament. So I had to kind of make up for that with mindset, and I literally, every match, I was icing my knee. And I never got it repaired. It kind of helped, like, repair itself. It wasn't really that bad, but both my meniscus and my ACL were torn, um, yeah, slightly torn, I should say. And uh, so it, 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 it was, I already had, you know, the odds against me going into that tournament. And uh, I think the importance of mindset and belief um, and, uh, and just, again, having the team that I had around me and the coaching staff, um, you know, I, I felt like uh, I walked out there against Craig Martin and I actually beat up on him. I ended up beating him like 12-5 uh, in that match. So um, I had a really good first match, so that kind of gave me some more belief. And then I had John Coles, and John Coles, I think, was in like the number four seed out of BYU. Mm -hmm. I think he had one loss going into the NCAA tournament. And uh, he took me down and I think tilted me right away. And I was like down like 5-0. And I came back and I tied the match up 6-6. And uh, went in overtime, and then uh, I, I, I think I ended up beating like 5-0 or something like that in overtime. So I got through that match uh, and, and, uh, uh, and got me to the quarterfinals in which I wrestled D. Camillus, who was, I think, one of the Denver Broncos head coach, interim head coach. He went on to the football scene, but um, he was out of Wyoming, and, and uh, he, was, he was an All-American that year, and I ended up beating him like 5-0. Uh, and then I got to the semifinals against Jim Gressley. And Jim Gressley had just um, uh, almost teched. He was about to tech, but he ended up pinning the number one seed. He was just a monster. He was having one he was He was having a better tournament than I was having. So I, um, I had my, obviously, uh, odds were stacked against me because he just beat up on the number one seed and then pinned him. And that number one seed kind of took it to me earlier in the season, who was David Lee out of Wisconsin. Mm. Um, so I went out against Jim, we tied up, and then I took his head off, and I headlocked him and uh, pinned him in, like, the, I think, 33 seconds. So, uh, yep, it was at the time one of the fastest pins in the – well, it might have been still be the, one of the fastest pins in the NCAA history. So I was proud of that moment. Uh, my, my brother Sam actually gave me a little advice, and, and I kind of wasn't thinking about a headlock, but he, he came out there, uh, you know, with a real strong tie. and. Um, I just kind of felt, you know, it was there and I took it and uh, I took his head off and, uh, and ended up pinning him. And uh, uh, I got to the finals. And the issue that I had, I think, going is having to wait. I was ready to wrestle the next hour. I felt like, man, I wish we could have just continued this tournament because I was on a mission. And then I, I think between – I had 24 hours before – I wrestled Mike Van Arsdale and hats off to Mike Van Arsdale from Iowa state. I ended up losing to him eight to three and didn't have the match I wanted to have. I warmed up. Well, he felt so big. I think he was 13 pounds over the night before he ended up making um, what he needed to make, but he felt like a monster. I, uh, <laughs> I went out there, I warmed up and he just felt so much bigger than I, I mean, I think I was like a, I want to say I was two pounds under after my semifinal match. I was not a, a big 167 pounder. And then back then we got weight allowance. So I think we got a pound or two pounds or whatever. I ended up having to have to wrestle like 169. I might've weighed in at 167 mm. um, after my semifinal match, just because I felt like I uh, did not want to cut a lot of well, uh, weight. I, I thought that hindered my uh, workouts and my ability to give a hundred percent in my workouts. So I didn't cut a lot of weight in college. And, uh, but yeah, I think I was two pounds under after my semis. So, uh, you know, uh, like I said, it, no excuses. I, I lost fair and square uh, and uh, just didn't have the, the kind of match that I, I thought I should have had. And, uh, um, you know, I, I felt ready, but I didn't feel like I did the night before. I just felt like that those first few days uh, I was on a mission and uh, it was uh, it was just a 
it was a good run. You know, it was a really good run. And how cool was it to have your brother there on the floor in the warm-up area with you most of that tournament? It was awesome. You know, Sam, Sam was just, he was special. He, uh, you know, he, uh, he was right there, you know, and uh, we're, we're same thing. Iron sharpens iron. We, we worked out quite a bit in college. We worked out quite a bit after college. He was another guy that wrestled and trained for the 92 Olympics. And uh, he really, we really helped one another. And uh, uh, back then, I think we even had the Dean family. Uh, I was working out with Dave Dean and Steve Goss uh, back then. And Steve Frazier we were all kind of workout partners in Greco and along with my brother, Sam. So uh, pretty good workout partners to have. For sure. Those are fun times. And I really appreciate you sharing all these stories. It's been an awesome conversation. Mr. Amin, Absolutely. thank you very much, sir. Yes. Yeah. Call me Mike. Mike, <laughs> for old. sure. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed being on your, uh, your podcast. Uh, I, uh, I'm a big fan as well of your podcast and you. And uh, I, uh, I like your words of encouragement, especially on Twitter and uh, really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, uh, uh, I love this sport. One of the things I did want to kind of close out with is uh, wrestlers and business is so important and we launched it in Michigan. It's really taken off as well. And, um, and uh, I really want to encourage our, our, our folks to uh, get out there and open up chapters. And it's great to have wrestlers helping um, each other in the business as well as the trades. Uh, we uh, just uh, have such a great community and I can't say enough good things about uh, our wrestling community. So how, all the what, best. What's it called? Wrestlers in business. Yeah. Wrestlers in business. We have a Michigan chapter. Uh, uh, there, there's an Ohio chapter. There's a New York chapter that they're, they're pretty much starting to branch out uh, throughout the country and Mike Moyer and what he does for our sport. I can't say enough about Mike Moyer. He's uh, he's in charge of the coach association. He's also the president of the wrestlers in business national. And he kind of came in a few times to help support us. So, um, you know, uh, but uh, absolutely uh, just want to keep encouraging our wrestler co wrestling community to, to be a part of that. And uh, they always host every year at the NCAA, they host the huge event that's pretty much sold out. So beautiful. Well, I'll, uh, I'll link to that in the show notes and we'll have to, what's that drink your grandfather used to distribute? Ozo? It, uh, Ozo, but it's, it's called Arak, A-R-A-K, but it's, it's Ozo. It's the same. It's a, it's a liqueur. It's a licorice liqueur. Get it on ice. I'm heading to Michigan. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, let's have one. All right. Well, Thanks, hopefully Mike. we have something to celebrate. Take care, Ryan. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.